My name is Nate Mickle. You're listening to Mickles and Dimes Layer 2, where every interview is dedicated to the simple, the practical, and the underappreciated. Whitney Lundeen is the founder and owner of Sonnet James, a clothing company that makes fashionable dresses for mothers who want to be playful with their children. Whitney first launched her company on Kickstarter in 2013 in a campaign that my wife and I were thrilled to support. Over the next several years, Whitney grew her annual revenues to several million dollars and then partnered with Sarah Blakely, the billionaire founder of Spanx. I hope you enjoy hearing Whitney's story and lessons, because I certainly did. Whitney, it's so great to catch up with you today. Ten years ago, our families were both living in the Bay Area, and you told us about a dress company that you were planning to launch called Sonnet James. As you described your idea, we all immediately loved it. It's been so fun to watch you continue to grow your company, which included a successful appearance on Shark Tank in 2019. And my wife always loves getting a new Sonnet James dress. Thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me, Nate. I really appreciate it. And before we jump in, I, w- I would love if you could just give us a, a rundown of what you've been up to these last 10 years. Yeah, so uh, actually February of 2023 is my 10-year anniversary of Sonnet James. So that feels like a very big deal um, that I made it <laughs> 10 years. But um, yeah, so I you met me at the very, very beginning of all this. Um I started Sonnet James um, when I was 27 and I had two little kids. I had an 18 month old and a a four year old and I was single and I hadn't, you know, been in the workforce in years and um, I was really, really poor and really, really desperate and um, I had this wild and crazy idea to start a business. <laughs> um, and I guess I have to say, I it was actually like, I think the sixth or seventh business I'd started, but I didn't really think of any of those as businesses. Like it should have been like very clear, like I was an entrepreneur, like yeah. 17, but um, I still didn't feel like I had any business um, starting a business. Um, I didn't study anything about it. I, you know, I literally had no idea what I was doing. So, um, yeah, I started it. Um, I, I, I basically had this idea to make a play dress and it was based around, um, wanting to help mothers, um, and wanting to help children. And so the idea was that, um, I could make a dress that my mom could have worn to help remind her to be more playful with me when I was little, because she really struggled um, with depression and just being engaged. And I felt like I was going through a similar, a similar uh, experience. Um, And I really wanted to be an amazing mother. That's what I really sort of care about more than anything. And so that's how the idea of the dress, you know, they always say like, it just start, it just starts with the idea you Mm -hmm. have, you you know, once you get the idea, then it's really, um, it's really just about hard work after that. So the idea was there and the seed was planted. Um, but I just wasn't brave enough for, for a little bit. And then, uh, new year's Eve, my family was sitting around and they said, 
we were sharing our new year's resolutions and I said, I'm going to, um, make and sell 10 dresses this year. (laughs) And I thought that was a really big, brave thing because I didn't know how to sew. I didn't know how to do anything. I hadn't made one yet. I had two little kids, you know, and so Kylan, who, you know, you knew from Stanford, my brother, he was like, maybe we can like up that a little bit. Like what is it a hundred dresses? And I was like, okay, I'm going to do it. I accept your challenge. And so um, the great thing about me is I'm, I'm, I'm very ambitious and I'm very determined. So when I do set my mind to something um, it, it's pretty fast. So the next day, I made a six week goal that I was going to have everything done in six weeks. So that was a crazy, crazy wild ride. Um, I taught myself how to sew, how to um, pattern draft, how to build a website, you know, um, and this is all from like 8 PM to 3 AM every night when the kids had gone to sleep. So that, that is, that's the beginning of the story. And then, you know, um, (laughs) the next 10 years were just like jumping out of an airplane. Um, and I, I grew super fast year over year. It was just like, I I honestly wasn't really even, it, it really felt so much like jumping out of an airplane that there was no like, okay, let's sit down and do like our growth projections. Yeah. And like, you know, it was just like, I just had to keep going. Like I didn't have any choice. It was just like running as fast as I possibly can. So it grew really fast. Um, I passed the million dollars in sales, which was a huge, huge thing for me because I had read so much um, about how what a small percentage of women owned businesses past the million dollar um sales uh and so that was big and then I went on and I passed that and I was I kept growing and um Shark Tank reached out to me oh really I didn't know that Shark Tank reached out to you Shark Tank reached out to me a few years earlier I had been like maybe I should do this and then like I I sort of it was exciting for a minute. And then I sort of was like over it. So by the time they reached out to me, things were going so fast. And I sort of felt like it wasn't the right time anymore. Like I felt like my company needed to be a little bit uh, younger, you know, it was, Mm -hmm. it was five years at this point. And so I was just like, I, I do believe that things if you're open, I I have this like very much like being open to the universe, being open to what comes to you and that Mm -hmm. sort of you'll attract what is meant to be yours. And so it came and I didn't really feel like it was great timing, but I'm like, well, I'm just going to see where it goes, you know, like I'm not going to put too much thought or energy into it, but I'll just keep, you know, writing back to them and so they'd be like, okay, send us a video of your pitch. And so I like set my phone down on the desk and I did like the first 
first attempt pitch and send it to them. You know, it was not like I was spending a lot of time and they'd be like, we love it. It's great. Next, next video, next step. And so I was just like, okay. And just, it just kept, I kept getting moved to the next level and the next level. So um, it was honestly Shark Tank. It's really complex because I feel like it sort of ruined Sonnet James in some ways, but then it also, you know, gave me my greatest sales year. It connected me to my, my investor and mentor now, Sarah Blakely. So there's like, there's pros and cons to it, but for about six weeks, you know, I didn't have a big team. I had like two other employees. Right. And so I had to take basically six weeks off of running Sonic James, which when you run a company, you can't, it's like, it's like death to your company to take six weeks off, you know? So, um, but you have to do that. You have to do a ton of work. You have to do a really deep dive into your business and all the financials and all that. So I did that. I filmed. So that was basically like, May and half of April and then June is when I filmed and uh it was really it was really sort of a messed up experience I'm gonna say I'm just I'm Shark Tank I (laughs) I have so many um feelings around Shark Tank but they they bring you in and you stay in this hotel with a bunch of other people that are pitching for Shark Tank and you I was put in a room and it's just a very, you know, basic, basic room. And you, the first day you pitch to all the executive, um, you know, producers or whatever. And then uh-huh. you wait. And so there's like 40 people like at these tables and you just like pitch to them. And it's pretty terrifying. And then you wait to hear from them if you made it to the next round. And so Monday I pitched and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I heard nothing. So I literally just had to sit in my hotel room because you don't know at any moment they could tell you like, you need to come now, you know, so you can't like go anywhere. And your company needs you all during this time. And of my company <laughs> needs me, but I'm also like, if I go, I need to be ready. So I would just like memorize every question and I'd go over all my, you know, my, my data and my numbers. And so I had my first panic attack that week because I was yes like it was like I'm going to be on national television like am I is this going to ruin the last five years of my life like are they going to make me look like I'm stupid are they going to make it look like a joke you know you have no idea how it's going to go and so and you're in a hotel room by yourself for days (laughs) it's really messed up so I didn't get um contacted until Friday at about 1 p.m and they said you're going on at 7. So um yeah, it was uh it was a you know, television show it was on a like really sort of old uh you know, one of those LA production places where it's just a big warehouse building and you're in like some old trailer and you know, it, it was nothing glamorous about it. And I pitched and it was incredible. I did a really good job mostly because I had done nothing but prepare for the an entire week. But um, 
the judges were great. They were super nice to me. They were, you know, I was hoping they were going to kind of like go into me harder because I was like, I prepared all this. Like mm. I want to <laughs> want to actually get drilled here. Um, but they were all, they were so nice and supportive and. And moved to tears. I mean, you're th- this episode watching it. I've watched it a number of times. It's just incredible how smoothly it goes and it just progresses so like calmly, methodically, and they're just eating it up the whole time. It, it, I mean, it was it, amazing. We really never stopped. Like I, I, I expected it to be, um, yeah, a bit more choppy. I expected it to be way longer. Like I think we only filmed for like 23 minutes or something. And, you know, I think my clip was like 10 minutes long. So not that much was edited out. And um, yeah, I just was so like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not good in front of people. I'm not good in front of crowds. I'm not good public speaker. Like it was just like, but when you look at me on that episode, it looks like I was born to be on television. Yeah, I mean, you it just was- aced it. Yeah. And did you know that Sarah Blakely would be one of the sharks that day? I did not. I did wow. not know she was going to be there. So um, that was, yeah, that was, that's, I I do believe I was meant to be on Shark Tank I be, because I believe I was meant to meet Sarah and, you know, have a relationship with her. We're very, we're very similar people in so many ways and um, sort of our values and how we approach business. And so, um, yeah, that, that was meant to be, um, but yes, I did move Mr. Wonderful to tears. Um, Mark Cuban, like I felt like treated me like his daughter, like he was a proud dad of me. Yeah. And I just felt really like and then the women were just like super supportive. And then Mr. Wonderful said I was the best fashion presentation in his 10 years of being yeah. on Shark Tank. So um yeah, it was very surreal because it's usually such like this cut throat, like tear people apart for television sort of mm-hmm. thing, you know? And my experience was not like that at all. And um, so, yeah, then, then the chaos began. So the filming was, was great and fine. And then from that, so I got a deal. I, I made a deal with Sarah for uh, 25% for, 350,000. And um, after that is when you start going, uh, you know, the the lawyers start talking, you don't talk to the people anymore, just the lawyers start talking. So that's a lot, you know, for for a small company um, to go through something this big, like, you know, a merger and changing from, you know, uh, LLC to uh, C Corp. And like, there's just a lot of stuff involved in that. And then preparing for being on air, you know, I had to buy a ton of inventory to, you know, and, and, and up to that point, I, I'd, I'd never run in debt. I'd always been cash positive. And, um, I know that's, it's a bit unusual for, for a company is probably, especially a fashion company, but, um, I didn't know any different and I just always had cash. And so I was very, very scared of debt. Um, And I was very conservative as well, as far as like 
how much inventory I'd buy and things like that. So when, when Shark Tank said that I was going to be on air in November, um, but then Spanx was like, okay, you need to go all in. And I wanted to do pre-orders because I wanted to be careful, you know, and they're like, no, that's a terrible idea. Nobody likes pre-orders. You got to have the inventory there. So I did it. I basically used all of my cash and bought all my bestsellers. And uh, then about two weeks before my air date or so, um, Spanx emailed me and said uh, Shark Tank had just let them know that they'd pulled my episode um, and uh-huh. I wasn't going to be on Shark Tank anymore. So um, I was like, wait, what now? Like, can are they allowed to do that? Like, And so Sarah had signed a contract to do one episode. So um, they had picked four people to be on it and I was one. But then last minute they switched it out for like a purse umbrella company mm-hmm. um and so that's who filled if you watch like the november 16th episode or whatever like that's sarah's first episode and that's the one i was supposed to be on so when that happened our deal hadn't gone through so we hadn't we hadn't um they hadn't given me the money yet and i was so worried like okay well i'm not gonna go on air all my inventory right i got all this inventory and all my customers already have all these dresses because they're the best sellers. There's nothing new. And maybe Sarah's not going to do the deal with me anymore because I'm not going to be on Shark Tank. So, um, and I also was sworn, like I, there was an NDA, so I couldn't say anything to anyone. I couldn't, oh talk to anyone. I couldn't even tell my family anything. Like it was such a lonely, scary place. So that was really hard because I felt like I felt like it was such a cruel thing like that Shark Tank can do with its um the people that come on the show, the the businesses, because you know, I'd worked for five years as a single mom, like every night, every you know, blood, sweat, and tears to 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 start this company and run it and get it very successful. And just like in one decision of like, no, we're switching this person out for this person, like my whole company was basically going to end like they can ruin you yeah that one decision can ruin you it's gonna be ruined yeah and so that was really hard um and Spanx didn't really know what to do and And you and you're mentioning Spanx so I've talked about Sarah on this podcast before and you know I just admire her and respect her and love what she's done but do you want to just give a little background on Sarah for those who don't know who she is yeah so Sarah um she went to school she went to law school or she no she wanted to go to law school but she failed the test uh, i think she took it maybe a couple times or i don't know she failed that so then she started um selling fax machines that was what she was doing knocking my door and she had this crazy wild idea and our stories are pretty similar in a lot of ways because um she had saved up $5000 from selling fax machines and to start her business. And I had, I think $4,000 that I'd saved wow. from my, from, you know, previous. and that's what we had to start our, our companies. And uh, so, yeah, she started Spanx. She just basically took pantyhose and cut the legs off of them. And so you could wear them under white pants basically, and like have some shape and no underwear lines. And she 
she never got money. She never had an investor. She owned 100% of the company until February or so when she sold the majority of the stake. Um, but she was like the youngest self-made billionaire, female billionaire, um, I think until maybe like Kylie Jenner or something like that. And um, yeah, she is just an incredible business person and has is really who I look up to the most out of anyone for how to be a person in this space of of business uh, not just a woman but across you know all genders she's uh, she's incredible and she's still very um much uh, a mentor to me now so and and she's so this is the woman that you've signed the deal with it hasn't completed yet and now they don't know what to do spanks doesn't know what to do because shark tanks pulled the episode so yeah what happens next so nothing i'm just like that's it that's the end of sonnet james like uh <laughs> i don't i'm out of money because you know but i mean i wasn't cuz i i hadn't even gone into like the the debt world the loan the you know i had mm-hmm. i it was it was all new to me but it felt very much over. And uh, so then like maybe two days before Christmas, I got an email from them and they said that um, Sarah had gotten them to agree to a second episode for her and that I was going to be on it on uh, January 19th. And uh, at that point, I was so over everything that I was like, not even excited. (laughs) I was just like, I cannot believe I just got put in this situation that I was in and like everything was so out of my control and I risked like my livelihood and taking care of my children on this like stupid thing. (laughs) But um, so it took me by the time I aired, I still wasn't I was still in a pretty like sour mood, sour Mm -hmm. like a bad space about it. Um, but yeah, it, it aired and, um, there was so much attention, you know, like the local news station came and did a thing on me and like just so much press and so many interviews. And, um, there, I heard the saying that like, there's, after you do any sort of sale, um, for your company, there's usually like, um, like a depressive period. And I I didn't actually know about that before this happened, but, but after, so I did the, the sale closed the same week that I aired for Sonnet James. So there was a lot happening in a very short amount yeah. of time and then a ton of press afterwards and then a ton of sales and a growth that was so fast. And we weren't, we weren't like, even if you try your best, I guess, sort of to prepare, we weren't prepared for, for that. And so it was just a lot all at once. And it was really hard for me. And um, yeah, so I guess that that's what happened with Shark Tank. And then um, that was 2019. Then we had our best, you know, we, we passed 2 million and, and then 2020 hit um and the pandemic pandemic started and california shut down and that's where everything is made for sauna james and 
So it was really, really tough. Um, it's been a really tough uh, almost three years, I guess. So that's, and now I'm, you know, now I'm in my next phase of like, okay, how do you keep a business going in, you know, difficult economic times? And so I feel like I've really, I'm really getting the full, <laughs> like all different um, experiences of running a business, which I'm grateful for. But I can't imagine that. So that whole Shark Tank experience, I, the only thing I, I can think of is, is, you know, you win a really big game, you win the Super Bowl or you, yeah. you win your, you know, the, the state championship that you've been dreaming of your whole life. And then you win it and you've been on such a high. It's almost yeah. like in order to balance out uh, emotionally, it's almost like you have to dip down really low, uh, yeah. or at least relative to how high you were, you're going to be feeling so down and low. So that's interesting to hear that. And, you know, I, to hear that shark tank experience and then the pandemic, that's a whole other world of <laughs> challenges and struggles. Uh, you, you know, it's just so easy outside looking in like, Oh, Sonic James is going great. Sales keep going up. Uh, yeah. you know, we're so happy for Whitney. This is awesome. Um, but just it's it's so interesting to get inside your story a little bit more and, and hear about these struggles. And you had mentioned off air that you'd had some special moments with Sarah Blakely and Spanx and that they had been especially supportive of you throughout this entire process. And I wanted to give you a chance to share that. So I'd had several experiences with um, male VCs in Silicon Valley as I was prepping for Shark Tank. Um, and you know, we'd meet in their big fancy offices and they would be very dry and, you know, they, they would, they did valuation on my company just, you know, very quickly, you know, um, and it, it was interesting because I had a female do evaluation of my company and it was three times what the men had valued it. Um, so I always thought that was interesting, but yeah. then, um, the men would always, tell me they said you need to leave California um you know your business is taking off you need to get out of get out of here so you can have lower taxes and find cheaper labor and um they all sort of said this as just like this is a no-brainer like this is what any it's, smart person would do <laughs> yeah just matter of fact yeah yeah and so I thought oh I you know I really didn't want to. Um, but so I brought this to, to Spanx. And when I had my week, when I had my meek, weekly meetings with them, I would meet with the, her, her main core team. So her CMO, her CFO, her head of legal, and one other person, I can never remember what uh, title they had. But so I, I told them this, you know, issue that had come up that I had been told many times that I should move out of state. Um, and they were all quiet for a minute. And then Charlotte, who's the CMO, she said, but aren't you happy in California? And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> that was not what I was expecting her to say at all. And I was like, yeah, I'm really happy. I love where I live. And she's like, well, then why would you move? <laughs> like it yeah. was, it was so simple to her. And it was very clear that she understood that like 
the the founder of a company, the CEO, whoever's running, like their mental state is a a huge piece of this puzzle. Like their happiness, that you know, what is the point of being in business? What you know, is it the bottom line? Is it you know happiness? And clearly, they were coming at two very different um, angles. And so I, from that, from that instant, instant, I always knew I could trust Spanx and I felt very safe. And so throughout our relationship, you know, um, when COVID hit, I also had been served with um, custody papers. So um, my uh, ex-husband was moving out of state and he wanted to take the kids with him. And so I was it was the worst thing that had ever happened in my entire life. It was um, the scariest thing that had ever happened. And we would have our work weekly meetings and they'd be like, okay, what's like top of mind? What's, you know, what are your biggest struggles? And I'm like, well, I have to be honest, like it's not work right now. Like I'm really yeah. struggling with personal stuff and they're like, what's going on, you know? And I just like cried and cried and and told them what was going on. And they just were so, so kind and they just listened and they were supportive and they were, you know, mad for me. And they were, you know, like they understood that this is a human, these are, I don't that business is about humans and how you can't be successful if the whole the whole human is not i mean i guess successful you can be very very rich and and not be a happy or whole person but they what they value is very different and so i just those two memories stand out so strongly to me because i could never imagine have sobbed my eyes out about my custody battle to those guys in their fancy yeah. suits and their <laughs> tall buildings. And, um, and here is this company who's, you know, she just sold for 1.2 billion and, um, you know, even more successful than every other business guy that I, that I met right. with. So it just showed me because for the longest time, I didn't think you could be, that soft, I guess I would use that word, that soft, that uh, kind and vulnerable and um, and still get the same output or outcome and if not better, you know, so it really gave me hope to, to show me like this is the kind of person I wanted to be. I, I didn't think it was possible, so I didn't really think I could be a part of this world. I thought it would destroy me. You know, I thought it would just like take every ounce of character or or uh, integrity out of me. Um, but she's shown me that there there is another way. And I really believe it's the right way. And it's the human way. Um, so, yeah, I just I wanted to share those because I thought they were really special. So cool. Um, I, I want to be sensitive to your time. Uh, that was such a cool story to hear the background. And and now that we have this background on Sonnet James, as you think about the lessons you've learned and you've learned 
countless, <laughs> obviously, and I'm I'm sure. Um, but of all the lessons you've learned, are there two to three simple, practical, underappreciated lessons that you'd most like to pass along to your children? Yeah. So I like the most sort of simple, basic one I I found has brought me sort of the most success is exercising every morning. Um, I did not expect that. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know, but it, to, to do what I have done and to carry a very high amount of stress and, um, you know, just in general, you know, living and, and being alive in this time is, is really hard, uh, mentally. And so it's, it's mostly for mental health, I would say, and really starting your day off and getting, you know, those, uh, that boost of like serotonin and dopamine and, um, is really what got me through, um, like there are times when I haven't exercised and I can definitely see where it's like, you know, my productivity is, is really low. So it's, it's really simple. Like it's not, it's not a hard thing to do, but it really makes such a huge difference in, in the amount of work you can get done in, in how you feel um, about yourself. And anyway, so that's what I would say to my kids is like, to to manage uh, you know high stress and and be able to get the things done you want to in your life and really leave the mark you want and and do what you feel passionate about and um exercise is is really important and i know doctors would agree with me oh absolutely it's true And, and and i love that so uh when i created this podcast I started with monologues, just brief, simple, underappreciated, practical lessons that I want my kids to learn. And one of the very first ones that I thought of was exercise. And I heard this analogy once about, you know, our cars and how, um, you know, some people just love cars and they make sure they get the oil changed and they're always, you know, getting the maintenance that they need and they're washing it all the time. And and we take such good care of our cars, knowing that we're going to replace that car in five to 10 years, yet with our bodies. We yeah. don't. We don't take care of it. We don't have all these sensors on our on our bodies like we have the car. And mm-hmm. and so one of the first episodes I created was uh, an episode around health and and trying to, you know, persuade and convince my kids and students to take care of their bodies and exercise. So that's that's so cool to hear that coming from you as well. Yeah, because uh, you know having a business is really really challenging on your mental health. Um, and, you know, people saying, oh, you can't do it. It's not going to be possible. And this is crazy or, or just, you know, managing, you know, debt or, you know, just all sorts of things. It's um, you got to have a really healthy mental health to do it. And yeah. that's the first one, I would say. Um, the second really um, simple, basic one that I've learned over all these years um, is blocking out my week. So, um, for a long time, it was just sort of like, do whatever, like was the most urgent, like 
every morning I just sort of wake up and like check my email and then be like, okay, what's the most urgent and just like, you know, mm-hmm. go through and, you know, I'd be like, you know, 30 minutes here and then I'd switch over to this and over here and, and you just sort of feel like you don't get anything really accomplished <laughs> every day. You know, you are, but it doesn't feel like it. Yeah. Um, and you're probably not actually being as productive. So what I've started doing is, um, I, I, I block out my week. So, um, exercise, I do exercise four days a week and then, and that's first thing in the morning. And then Monday I do, uh, all my logistical stuff. So, uh, that's it. That's the stuff I hate the most. So it's basically like I make a to-do list and then I put all the things that I'm dreading the most and, and I have to do those first. So my logistics are my Monday is my long day and I do all of the nitty gritty management stuff mm-hmm. and then Tuesday exercise and that's my creative um, design day so that's when I go to the city and I and I work on all my dress designs and patterns and then Wednesday exercise and I plan all my meetings on Wednesdays um, and then Thursday exercise and that's my think session day so I just I spend four hours just um with a notepad and a pencil like in the library <laughs> and I just write out all of my ideas and um you know future plans my my neck what I want to do for the next year my goals my all of that stuff and then Friday sort of is creating content and like more creative stuff and sort of my off day too so um, that that is a really important thing for me to do to like, if you actually put in the markers for how you're going to spend your time, you're going to get, you're actually going to do that instead of just thinking like, oh, at some point during the week, I'm going to, um, you know, design my dresses or fit in my meetings, whatever. So I know that's a really simple one, but it, um, especially like with any ADHD tendencies, you know, it's like very easy to get distracted. And I don't know if like having the business has given me more of those qualities or uh, the pandemic has, you know, made it even worse in technology and all that stuff, but it's just so easy to get distracted um, that I found this is really helpful um, for me. Yeah. I think that's so interesting too, because I, I remember learning this idea of uh, urgency and importance, thinking of it on like a two by two matrix. And I think it was Stephen Covey uh, that I first learned it from. And so we have urgent, important things and urgent, not important things, but we also have not urgent, important things and not urgent, not important things. Mm-hmm. And what happens is is we end up so often just spending our time on the urgent things and urgent, important is fine, but it's when we, we're doing urgent, not important, that that can derail our day. And then we never get to the not urgent, important things. So, so cool to hear that you spend the way you structure your time and then that you're spending four hours thinking. So I just had (laughs) per week, at least I I just had Jeremy Utley on the podcast and Jeremy teaches creativity at the Stanford D school. And Mm. a a couple of the lessons that he taught was one, the most important um, factor in being creative is just coming up with lots of ideas that quantity Mm -hmm. beats quality. And then Mm -hmm. he was talking about the Nobel prize winner, Uh, Daniel Kahneman, who collaborated with Amos Tversky, and their goal was to always be a little bit underemployed 
because if they were too employed, if they were too busy, they could never take the time to think. Now, you, you've you whether you heard that story or not, you understood this principle. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, you, so you didn't need to hear it because you already understand it. Uh, but so cool to hear that you're doing that. And, and I think that is a very simple, practical, truly underappreciated um, behavior that can really lead to incredible productivity. So, so cool to hear. Okay. And so th those were my two very like um, practical ones. And then my, the third one that I really think is the most important that I hope my kids learn so deeply and is a part of them forever is that um, life is all about relationships. And so that, uh, you know, extends into business for me, business is all about relationships and um it's it's very easy to um think that to be successful in business you have to be cutthroat you have to be like you know you were supposed to deliver by this date and you missed it and so you know like um these are the consequences or whatever um but it it's not and i think uh, for a long time um I think that's one of the things Sarah has has taught me is that um, I didn't really want to go into business because I just thought it was like, you know, in all the movies you see or whatever, it's like the the mean, you know, right. business guy. And, he you know, it's just all about like the bottom line and everything. And and really, my experience, it was when I kind of started to talk to a lot of businessmen in the area, it was it was it, it did feel like that. But Sarah showed me that you can have a lot of more feminine qualities to um, to bring with you into the business world that are, you know, you can still feel like I, I feel like good about myself and like yeah. going to bed every night and like, you know, I can sleep well. But she's so kind and she's silly and she's funny and she's um, very authentic and vulnerable and um you know there were times oh, there's just there's there's so many stories with with Sarah and Spanx but um I've just found that you know when you choose the people that you work with you can choose and people will may disagree with me but this is just how I've come to my own conclusion you can choose the very most efficient, fastest person, for example, to, to make my markers and my patterns. But if I don't, I have to work with that person sometimes twice a week. If I don't enjoy that time with that person, then what, what is the point of life? If right. the, if hours upon hours that multiply, you're not enjoying this person and you're not, you know, so maybe the person is a little bit slower or maybe, you know, whatever, but every single person that I work with, I feel as if, and I treat as if they are family. And I feel, I feel like that went against everything that I'd ever heard and learned. Like it's not, it's not personal, it's business or, you know, all those yeah. things. Um, but I truly believe, and it's not just for the payoffs at all, but this this is how I want to live my life. I want um, 
to have a fullness and a richness. And I want um, to be close to the people that I work with every day. But I found that when you're in a pinch, when the economy is bad and you need a favor, or you need to extend something, if you need, you know, longer terms, if you need something rushed, this these things matter. You know, people are, are going to help you if if they like you and if you're nice to them and if you guys have a relationship. And so I think that that's what I want my boys to know is just in general, like what's the point, what's the meaning of life to me? It's the relationships we make and the connections we make with other people and animals too. I'm going to throw animals in there, but all the relationships that we have, and um, and whatever you choose to do for your um, work, for whatever you feel most passionate about and you choose is um, that you really should focus on the relationships in your life. So that is my, my final um, <laughs> life lesson, I guess, over the last 10 years. Uh, I just love this approach. Uh, I have been thinking about my former football coach, Bronco Mendenhall. Uh, he was coaching at the highest levels and, um, you know, it's so competitive and cutthroat and never a day off. And mm-hmm. uh, after, you know, 20, 30 years of doing that, he retired or, or he didn't retire. He stepped away for a year. And so he was at the University of Virginia as the head coach and he just stepped down. He's taken this year off. And he said that uh, he of the hundreds of messages he's received from former players and staff members and employees, not a single message has mentioned a play, a game, mm-hmm. an outcome. Every mm-hmm. single one of those several hundred messages is all about, hey, remember this experience when you said this or when mm-hmm. we did that together. And it was all about the relationships. And in the ethics class that I teach, I ask the students, you know, what do you want to do in 20 years? And and so often the answer is um, essentially I want to get rich, I want to grind, and then I want to enjoy my life. And mm-hmm. I try to encourage them to think about enjoy your life now. <laughs> you don't, you know, those 20 years in the future are not guaranteed. And I love your approach of just like finding the people you want to work with. You, you know, you you believe in opening up yourself to the universe and attracting mm-hmm. people that you want to be with. Now, I I should have probably not said anything after you spoke because it was just so beautiful the way you said it, but. I love this approach and this is something that I can, I hope that I can teach my children as well. Um, So you've given me way more time than I asked for. And I have to say, this is, this is a record, Whitney, this is the longest episode and I'm so grateful to you. Oh my gosh. (laughs) I'm grateful to you for willing, for your willingness to do this and, and share uh, so sincerely and thoughtfully and, and, I'm grateful that you went through that story and help us appreciate where you're coming from and, and why these lessons are so important. So uh, we just want nothing but the best for you and for your family and for Sonnet James. We're so excited to continue watching you thrive from a distance. So thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you, Nate. It was, a, it was such a pleasure. And I love, I love what you're doing. I love the idea of this podcast. So I'm excited to listen to more of your episodes. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mickles and Dimes. Whitney Lundeen has been through the grinder, so to speak, but she keeps rising to the top with such a great outlook and perspective that she so successfully conveyed today. 
First, we need to exercise to effectively deal with the stress of life. Not only does exercise help us feel better about ourselves mentally, it also helps us physically. Getting a daily boost of dopamine and serotonin can boost productivity in addition to our mood. It can be difficult to achieve anything meaningful in life if we do not feel well mentally and physically. Second, be thoughtful in how we spend our time. By blocking out time each week to complete her urgent important tasks, as well as her not urgent important tasks, Whitney has become more productive. It's so easy to become distracted, and if we don't carefully protect and prioritize our time, we're prone to spend way too much of it on unimportant things. And finally, life is all about relationships. Whitney learned over and again from Sarah Blakely that she could play business by her own, more feminine rules, which included choosing carefully the people she works with and treating them like family. By following Whitney's advice to exercise daily, block out time for the important things each week, and remembering that life is about relationships, we can live our lives with fullness and richness, as Whitney described. It's a simple idea. Please take it seriously. 